0: Welcome back to Contractor Evolution. This is your host, Benji. Today's conversation is with Paul Akers, author of Two Second Lean and North America's favorite lean thinker, speaker, and writer. Paul founded FastCap, a company that manufactures woodworking tools after 20 years as a contractor and cabinet maker. Through a series of twists and turns, he discovered lean and the Toyota production system, which was instrumental in propelling FastCap as an example of lean manufacturing and culture, followed by thousands of other companies around the world. Lean is a production philosophy that seeks to eliminate waste through continuous improvement and it can be applied to the manufacturing process of a multinational company just as well as it can be applied to the job site of the humble North American contractor. Paul's relentless pursuit of efficiency and passion for lean thinking has landed him consulting and speaking gigs with Mercedes-Benz, Amazon, and the U.S. Navy. And hey, if accolades don't persuade you, maybe this will. The average North American worker across industries outputs about $150 an hour worth of value. Paul's employees at fast cap output between five and $700 an hour because lean concepts work. If you haven't yet read or listened to two second lean, do so. It's short. It's fun. It's really practical. Um, but for a one page summary of lean thinking, you can download Paul's lean in a nutshell PDF, which he's graciously provided to us. And you can download that using the link in the description of this episode, print it off. Put it on your office wall for a visual reminder of the eight kinds of waste and other really important lean principles. Okay, enough out of me. Let's get into how to implement lean into your contracting business with Paul Akers. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Okay, everyone, we are joined today by the great and powerful Paul Akers. I'm absolutely honored to be here. I'm a fan of his. I've read his book. If you haven't, don't be a silly goofball. Go pick it up. Read it immediately. It's called Two Second Lean, among others. Um, But that's kind of the Bible. Paul, welcome to the show, man.
1: Thank you, Benji, very much.
0: Can you? I want I want our listeners to know a little bit about you, a little bit about your backstory. And I know you tell it better than I could. Briefly tell us about your story with FastCap, your story with Lean on becoming an author. Like, who is Paul Akers?
1: Yeah, well, it's really simple. I was a person in high school and in school period, college as well, I struggled with school. I was not good academically, but I was good with my hands and I was good at solving problems. As a result, I graduated from high school at 17 years old and I went to work for Bob Taylor, one of the most renowned guitar makers in the world, built the first 2000 guitars coming out of Taylor Guitars when he was 17 and about 19 years old. Bob taught me to be an innovator. I then went on to get my degree in education, taught industrial arts, and uh, loved working with kids, loved teaching them and showing them the wonderment of building something out of wood. And then I went on and started a general contracting company after I was a teacher. And I invented a product called the Fast Cap, a simple peel and stick cover cap. The product took off. Today we're in 40 countries, thousands of distributors worldwide, you know, $40 million company, 800, 800 products on the market. And I learned about lean manufacturing in the first three years of that journey of starting FastCap. FastCap is about 22 years old now, started in 1973. And so I learned to lean at year three, and it transformed the way I ran my company. How does that How does that sound for an intro? Sounds I can keep going, good, but I want to give you just a snapshot. Then you can That's ask a- me more.
0: Uh, What kind of contractor were you? Before you started FastCap, you mentioned you were a a general contractor. What kind of work were you doing? What kind of projects were you doing primarily?
1: Primarily kitchen remodels and custom furniture for people. So I did one-off kitchens. I had two or three employees, very small operation, European cabinets. I was one of the first ones to do European cabinets in the United States. Went to school in Germany in 1983 and uh, learned the European system of building cabinets. It came right back and said, hey, I'm gonna start building European cabinets. Nobody was doing it at the time. And I started doing kitchen remodels. But when I do the kitchen remodels, I did everything. I went and did the demolition. I did the electrical, the drywall, the plumbing. I did everything from start to finish. So I was a one-stop shop and I was always busy, usually three to six months out. And I wish I would have known lean back then it would have helped me even though I was hyper organized back then I had no clue what lean was it would have dramatically changed my business and it was already successful.
0: FastCap was started with like one single product. You mentioned you had this one thing that kind of took off. I'm assuming that it, it's your inventory, your menu, the things that you manufacture and distribute and sell is, has has uh, proliferated, become more evolved. What? Where is FastCap today? What do you guys make? Who are your customers? Tell us a little bit about that entity before we dive into some of the lean stuff.
1: You know... Probably 60% of our customers are cabinet makers. It used to probably be 80%. Now we have a lot of general contractors and finish carpenters that use our product and quite a few DIY people use our product as well. So the first thing was a fast cap. The next thing was a laser jam, a laser leveling tool for positioning a laser line anywhere on the wall because when I would set cabinets, I was working off a reference line. I put a red line on the wall, and then I'd measure off of that. I said, that's nonsense. I want the line at 34 and a half inches where I'm going to set the cabinets. I want it at 50 inches where I'm going to set the uppers. So I developed a pole system where you could put a laser and position it precisely so you're installing the cabinets, at the line instead of measuring off the line it was much more accurate that was the second product from there we went to peel and stick edge banding from there i went to the third hand a pump mechanism now we have all these innovative tape measures we have glue bottles we have speed braces for a support shelf. I mean, the list is so long; it's almost hard, hard to even comprehend. And we manufacture 60% of our products in our plant. We have a super high-tech injection molding machines with robotics. We do die cutting. We do printing. Uh, we do all C N C work. Uh, we have a full wow. wood shop with C N C. We do everything. Wow. We have a full manufacturing plant.
0: Where is that? Yeah, is that still in is that still in Bellingham, Washington? It's in Bellingham, Washington. Anybody can watch
1: our tour. You can just go Fast Cap Tour into Google or YouTube. It's got over – there are two videos. It's one and two. It's got over 750,000
0: views. For you listeners who have not checked out Paul's videos yet, go. we will include a link in the description where you can check out um, – his site, you can check out his videos. I would highly, highly, highly recommend looking at those. We're going to get into some lean methodology, some lean thinking today. I think you're going to find it compelling. You should find it intuitive. But if you want a more visual overview of how this stuff works on the actual you know, ground level of a business, uh, Paul's videos are phenomenal. I've watched a ton of them myself. Paul, i got an easy one for you. What is lean?
1: Lean, in the technical sense, is the elimination of waste. And there are eight wastes. There is first overproduction, then you transport it, then you put it in inventory, then you have a defect, then you rework it, then you overprocess, then you transport it, and then you waste your employee potential. Those are the eight wastes that Toyota has identified that we want to all collectively eliminate on a daily basis. So that's the technical answer. We're eliminating waste. But the real answer is lean is about developing your people. So in a technical standpoint, it's about the elimination of these eight ways. But really what it's about and what, why Toyota is so successful and what I finally figured out after five years of doing it was it's about the development of their people. It's the development of your people. So I spend an hour plus every day developing my people before they ever work. I spend thousands and thousands of dollars every day training and teaching my people before they ever work. So Toyota understood that their greatest resource is people. And then I finally figured out my greatest resource was people. So I spent an enormous amount of time, money, and effort teaching my people to think at a higher level, to become world-class problem solvers, to be able to see the waste and eliminate it. That's what lean is really. It's developing a culture of problem solvers.
0: So if someone was listening to this and they go, okay, Paul, you spend an hour every day like, like showing your people tips and tricks, teach them how to solve problems. Like that's like you know that's a pretty good chunk of team time not actually building the building not actually doing the thing like how the hell am i supposed to afford all of this like extra time what if somebody was listening to that and that was their mindset how do you kind of challenge that way of thinking how do you how do you defend your view which is that people are the most important thing and it demands quite a bit of time quite a bit of extra effort to get them to where they need to be
1: well, I'm going to shock you what I'm going to say. I don't try to convince anything of everyone. I say you keep doing it the way you're doing it. Go knock your head out, pull your hair out, set your hair on fire, keep solving the same problems over and over again. You go knock yourself out. I'm not going to convince you of <laughs> anything because what I'm talking about is for 2% of the people in the world. There are 2% of your audience that are going to listen to what I'm saying and go, oh, my gosh, that's it. And the rest of you are going to make all the excuses in the world. The rest of the 98% are going to make all the excuses in the world why it won't work and why it doesn't work for you. And you know what I say? Go knock yourself out. I could give a rat's ass.
0: (laughs) I think that's the right answer, Paul. I love it. So, Paul, how would you describe... the state of the average job site in North America. You say only two percent of the people are going to do something with lean thinking; they're going to apply it to their business and improvement. Ninety-eight percent is not, which I think is probably a safe estimate. How would you describe that ninety-eight percent? What is the what is the average state of the average job site in North America?
1: Well, train wreck, garage sale, non-thinking morons. Uh, you know, just it's just it's not good. It's insanity what people do. It's absolutely, I mean, there's no, nobody's thinking and what most people are answering the question is that, well, it's difficult because we're contractors and we can't rely on the person before us and the person after us. So we've got to have everything staged there. So all the doors get banged up, the windows get banged up and 20% of them get replaced. And then I've got a full-time person just dealing with replacements and ordering replacements. And it's just like, has anybody ever stopped to think there's a way to fix this stuff, but very few people do. Occasionally, it happens, and when it happens, it's magical. Did I? Did you watch the video I sent you from Sunrock Con-
0: Construction? I did. I did. did I you told. See that, I watched doing? it. Why don't you tell? I'm, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about it and the project, the job site that you were just on? Yeah,
1: just yesterday we did an Ame tour. We do an Ame tours, uh, American Manufacturing Excellence tours, all over the world with companies that are doing two second lead. And yesterday we did a heavy equipment. Company a two point eight billion dollar company, Sunrock Construction in Utah. You know, hundreds of you know excavators and bulldozers and graders. I mean, just a very complex work they're doing, putting in roads, streets, sewer pipes, water lines, everything. And they started doing two second lean uh, three years ago, and. It was just breathtaking what, what we saw. So all their trucks are super hyper organized. They have checklists for everything. They have QR codes to scan. Everything is GPS labeled with color-coded tapes. So if you've got a shovel with orange on it, it goes on the orange truck. If it's a red red shovel, it goes on the red truck. You walk into their ditch boxes. You know, they have big trench boxes. All the shovels are magnetic. The levels are magnetic. Everything sticks to the wall, of the trench box. So they're working the trench box and they need to put down the shovel. They don't put down the shovel and then bend over pick it up. They slap it against the side of the wall. The, mag- the, the, the the level goes against the side of the wall. The ladder has a special holder that's attached to the side of the trench box. When the excavator pulls the trench box down the road, all the tools are magnetically attached to the trench box, and everything moves down with it. They've got a, a, a soil wrap. Uh, dispenser on the side of the trench box that just sets on because you can't modify or you can't weld anything on trench box so they got it, it just sets on there then the soil wrap material comes down they put it underneath the pipe they cut it off it's just like these people are thinking at such a high level it's unbelievable it's just like everywhere you look they've refined every process they're doing and they're saving millions of dollars and their people are happy and the work the quality is through the ceiling and everybody wants to do business. So
0: when you hear a contractor or any business owner, it's not just contractors, but when you hear business owners with, you know, an operational based company, they've got complexities, they've got inputs, they've got outputs. And and they sort of reject this kind of thinking. They say, "No, no, that wouldn't work for me because reason XYZ." I'm sure that's an objection you hear a lot. Um like, my, my question to you is, like, how well do lean principles translate from manufacturing, which is where I think they were born, to a trades and construction type job site? Is it, like, do they, do they sort of, do they migrate across those environments pretty seamlessly? Or is it a lot of work to apply the Toyota from, or the thinking from Toyota to, say, you know, a build site where someone's building a custom home or they're doing a beautiful landscape or they're painting a large commercial building? Easy,
1: easy, easy, easy. No problem. So let's say in Toyota, you have the process of putting on a door, installing the weather stripping, and testing the window. That's a process. There are like 10, 20 steps involved in that process. So all Toyota did was say, okay, let's look at the steps of grabbing the door, putting the hinge pins in, then grabbing the weather stripping, putting the weather stripping on, Testing the hooking up the cables for the power windows and testing it to make sure they work. There are ten processes hypothetically to, to that process to put on that door. Well, guess what? You're in a trench box. You've got to put down a fabric wrap. You've got to cut the fabric wrap. You've got to level the pipe. You've got to put the pipe, you got to put the pipe joint together. There are ten processes, let's say hypothetically, to put a to put a twenty foot section of water pipe down. So those 10 processes all have an abundance of waste in them. And all you're doing is looking, how do you eliminate the waste of putting it on the door? How do you eliminate the waste of putting down a 20-foot section of pipe? Because every one of those processes is difficult. Do you have to have two people jump out of the trench box and hold on to the fabric wrap, a really heavy roll of fabric wrap, and unroll it? Or do you have a dispenser that's built in that one guy just grabs it and pulls it in and the knife's magnetically uh, magnetized inside the box, you cut it, boom, and go to the next step. Mm -hmm. Those are all processes. It, It translates perfectly because everything we do in life is a process. Whether you're getting your car keys in the morning, you don't know where they are. Whether you're making your lunch, whether or not you're putting a filling in a tooth, whether or not you're preparing attorney documents, whether or not you're putting in pipe in a trench box, whether or not you're building cabinets, whether or not you're putting it in windows. It doesn't matter. They're all freaky processes. Mm -hmm. And all lean thinkers do is look at every process from whether you're doing an estimate to whether or not you're unloading the truck and putting the windows on the job site where you stage it. Everything's a process. You're just refining that process in a continual fashion instead of just one time. So we're always saying, how could I make it a little bit better?
0: It's that simple. Okay. So let's go deeper on that. When you, um, uh, like what what are the quick wins for job site efficiency what is the low-hanging fruit what pieces of practical advice do you give to contractors around the way equipment is set up the way tools or, are organized the way people use materials the way uh the way workers orient themselves towards their actual work like what's the low-hanging fruit where once people do it they're like oh my god i can't believe it took me that long to figure it out yeah, yeah, yeah
1: super they're there's two things. Number one, called connecting the work a visual workplace. Connecting the work in a visual workplace. So what that means is, so instance, you walk up to the truck and sunrock contra- construction, there is a holder that they made out of PVC pipe to hold every impact wrench that drives a giant nut. And the holder, when the holder's missing, the impact's missing. That's a visual workplace. So everything's visual, where every tool goes is visual, where every where every uh, uh, support for the ditch, like you have these uh, expansion things. I can't remember what they're called right now. Uh, you know, trench box expansions. You put them in there. There are some that are that are you know two foot. Some that are five foot. The orange ones are two foot. The the the, the three foot ones are purple. The the four foot ones are red. Everything's visual, so everything has been painted, it's visual, the shovels, everything's visual, the color code, a visual workplace. The next thing is connecting the work. So if you're going to uh, be working in a trench box, for instance, I'm gonna use that example because we just did it yesterday, uh, and you need a shovel, you don't want the shovel down at one end of the 20 foot uh, trench box, you don't wanna to have to go down there every time you get, it. you want it right where you're working. So all of a sudden you're working, right? You snap the shovel right to the side of the wall, right where you're working, grab the fabric, pull the fabric around, grab the shovel again. You connected the work to where you're working instead of having to transport and use excess motion. So you're really trying to move the work, the tools, the supplies, everything together Mm. very closely to eliminate excess motion and transportation and over process. The
0: only, yeah, I've heard you say this at I've heard you say this a different way, which is like, um, how do you say it's like, uh, like progress only gets made when something is being changed. And most of the time people are like walking from one thing to another. They're getting a tool. They're like, like the actual time spent doing the thing is like pretty minimal.
1: Benji, that's excellent. So let me let me talk about that because that's one of the most powerful concepts. And again, this is only for 2% of your listeners because the other 98%, they're just not going to get what I'm going to say right now, but I'm going to say it's the 2%. You ready for this? It's called value and non-value added work. So for instance, you're working in the trench box, okay? And all of a sudden, you got to move a little bit of soil. And the shovel's five feet down the trench box. When you walk down the five feet and back, that is called non-value-added activity. Nothing has changed. The only time you have value-added is when the actual soil is being moved. When the shovel's going through the air, there's no value. Only at the moment it hits the soil and moves it. And then when it's on the retract and you're putting it on the side of the box, There's no value added. So it's only at the moment that something is changing. The bottom line is, everybody, you ready? This is the wake-up call. 98% of what you do every day is non-value-added activity. Most of what we do is non-value-added activity. It's just a whole bunch of excess motion and over-processing. That doesn't change a damn thing. That's the bottom line. Okay? So we want to connect the work to reduce the non-value-added activity so we're doing more just value.
0: That makes perfect sense to me. It's it's so, it's so intuitive and it seems so simple when you say it. Like when I and when I think about my work, I know because when I think about my workday, Paul, I, I'm embarrassed to admit how much time I spend looking for my keys. There's a whole bunch of time fiddling in a CRM looking for the number that I'm supposed to call. There's a whole bunch of time sorting through things to find the actual work that I'm supposed to do. If I really reflect on it, it's a little depressing. Like I'm only actually doing something a slim minority. of the time. I know.
1: Uh, And and you get it. And you're one of the 2%. So let me explain something to you. So in my home, this is not even my house that I'm in right now. I'm renting a house. I put up a hook for my keychain because I'm tired of looking for... Damn keys, right? So every time I walk in, I put the keys there. And every time I need them, I look right there. And the keys are always there. And they're not locked in the car. They're not in some ancillary place. They're always exactly where they need. But here's the truth of the matter. You ready? You said you're embarrassed. You know what? I'm embarrassed. I'm like the grand poopa, if you will, of, of lean thinking. I do the same thing all the time. Not the key thing, but I have all kinds of waste, even though I'm in a very advanced stage of lean, hypothetically. Everyone has waste. It doesn't matter where you are. And the waste is everywhere. I'm looking for the waste and other small little nuances maybe that you wouldn't be looking at because you haven't been doing it as long as me. But I have so much waste. It's unbelievable. You would think that I had arrived. It is just the opposite. The waste is staggering in my life. And this separates the lean thinkers, the 2%, from the non-2%. because the, 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 the And 98% think they're so good, they got nothing to improve. Think they, they think they're so smart. And you take someone like me, I think I'm so stupid
0: and so remedial in my application and I've been doing this for 20 years. So, here's a question for you because if you think of the if you think of how what you said these I've heard you say this before it's like waste is like gravity, like it is everywhere and it's all the time. So, if you think if you think about a job site, if you think about an office, if you think about the different environments that a business organism lives in, there's way more than one person is ever going to be able to find and sort through in a lifetime. So here's the question, is like how do you train your team, not just you? You might listen to this podcast and go, I think Paul's really smart and I love lean stuff, but you got 20 people that work for you. You got 50 people that work for you. How do you train your team to see this? How do you put a, a lean lens on those people and have them spot waste for you? Well, it's
1: easy actually. You do it on a daily basis in a morning meeting. And you have you watch my videos online, everything's free. I don't charge for anything. You have them read my my book. You discuss the book with them. There, there are just thousands and thousands of videos that I posted and other people have posted that give you lots of inspiration for where the waste might be lurking in your life. And you start educating them with five, 10 minutes a day with watching these videos. You say, how does this apply? And next thing you know, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I could do this. I could do that. So you develop them on a daily basis with a routine. We call it, in the lean world, we call it a kata. Kata means a routine, the routine of training their minds to open up to new possibilities on how to do the work more effectively. Mm. And then the next thing you do is you allow them I say only 10 minutes to start with, 10 minutes just to clean their work site and their work area. Every day, you do not let, you say you cannot work. You need to go organize, wind up your extension cords, get your toolboxes organized, sort through the things you need, sort things things you don't need. This is called 3Sing, sweeping, sorting, standardizing. This is what we do every day in my company. Look, at, we're so advanced. We got, uh, you know, three quarters of a million people watching one video from our company on our lead tour. I mean, we're like the mecca of lean right but yet every day for the last 20 years we spend a half hour with 50 people cleaning sweeping sorting and standardizing everything in our facility you'd think we would have arrived 15 years ago we're not even close every day so we have a meeting for a half hour and then we we 3s for a half hour and then after one hour has gone by then our people are working but here's the important thing my people get done in eight hours when it takes every other company on the planet in 40 hours.
0: Really? I'll give you a good
1: example. Here's something that will blow your – oh, my gosh. They're, they're, we run circles around everybody. It's not even funny. Here, here you go. Here's a stat that will just m- blow your mind beyond all comprehension. The average company in America, the well-run company, for every hour an employee works, they produce about $150 worth of product or, or output, mm-hmm. okay, sales, you know, not not profit just output we produce between 500 and 700 per man hour
0: so five to five, five or six times industry average and that's because there's le- there's more time it's, on value-added it's, it's value added work and less time it's on non value added work fundamentally oh, yeah. that's we, what it's yeah, about yeah we're not
1: walking yeah. around looking for stuff everything is so dialed in in our place it's so dialed in and everything is continually improving all the time and what that
0: translates into a happier workplace. What does that actually mean to you? You've said it a few times. We're continuously improvement. We are improving. We have a culture of continuous improvement. What does that philosophy mean? Um, can you unpack it a few layers, just for someone that's listening to this for the first time? Like, what is continuous improvement?
1: It simply means the things that you go to do and you struggle with today tomorrow you're not going to struggle with so for instance we'll use the car keys you struggle with looking for your car keys so we would say stop and fix what bugs you find a designated place that makes sense put a hook up and when you walk in your house when you walk into your work that's where the keys go so that tomorrow you never will never be tortured again with the idea of looking where your keys are because you know they're always going to be there and if that improvement didn't work you did the hook and it didn't work and you found out for some reason it really was not the strategic strategic play. You then moved that hook or you changed that methodology until you found an environment that was repeatable and the process people liked because it produced a favorable result. So that's continuous improvement. Small incremental improvements to every process forever
0: is there value in an entrepreneur sort of constantly asking themselves that question that you just asked which is what bugs what bugs me or or by extension asking people on your team what bugs you is that kind of like is that is that an easy way to unearth to find some of these breakdowns some of this non-value added work is that sort of that is
1: it hmm. fix what bugs you Fix what bugs you, period, fix what bugs you. End the subject, fix what bugs you. Repeat, fix what bugs you, fix what bugs you. Everything, come on, you've got things that bug you right now, don't you? Come on, there's gotta be 10 things you can think of right now that bug you. Tons. Imagine if you stopped and spent a half hour, an hour and fixed those, and tomorrow you woke up and those things were not just not bugging you, but they were filling you with felicity. They were filling you with joy and happiness because you did not struggle with them again.
0: So, listeners, if you're not if you're not getting this yet, um, I just want to be very clear. I think what Paul is saying: go ask your team what bugs them. They're going to tell you with stunning clarity, and they'll probably have better solutions thought up in their own mind already because they're the ones that deal with it every day than you possibly could sitting from the office, sitting from the truck. So ask your team what bugs you and start going from there. i got another question, Paul, about um, like change management, buy-in, getting people motivated to do this. Is this a hard process to initiate? Do people drag their feet and go, oh, we got to do this hour long meeting in the morning and we should just get to work? Like how do you create a culture that gets obsessed with this the way that you are?
1: Mm-hmm. as soon as they feel the benefit so we work with, let's say we have a person that kind of puts their feet down and says i don't really want to do this. this is stupid i don't have time to do this i want to work so then the leader like me would go into their place say hey martha bill john uh let's take a look at your work area is there anything that bothers you well yeah that thing bothers me what, what do you think the idea would be how can we fix it i don't know Well, you come up with one solution. I mean, I'm happy to help you fix it. I'm willing to pay for the resources and supply. Let's come up with something, right? So this is the story I tell in my book because it all happened just like this. This is how I came up with two-second lean. I walked to the injection molding department. Nick was there, and Nick wasn't making improvements. And I said, Nick, is everything perfect? He goes, yeah, things are pretty good. I said, there isn't anything that bugs you? There's got to be something that bugs you. He goes, well, when I put the mold in, the the injection molding machine, I have to stick my head inside the machine and look at the level to get it level. It's awkward. It doesn't feel good. And I said, well, how can we fix that? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, show me where you put the level. He put the level on top of the mold. I said, so what do you have to do? He puts his head inside. Is there any way you could see that vial without having to put your head inside? He goes, I don't know. He said, come on, there's got to be some way, Nick. He goes, well, maybe if we put a mirror on it. Well, let's go get a mirror. So we got a piece of mirror, plastic mirror. We held it in there at a 45 degree angle. And lo and behold, he could see the vial. And I said, so how are we going to get that on the level? And I said, I don't know. And I said, come on, Nick, let's glue it on. And he goes, okay. I got a hot glue gun, glued it on at a 45-degree angle, got some popsicle sticks, to use a to gusset, put it on there. He puts, slaps the level on there. All of a sudden, he's not putting his head inside the machine. He can see the vial perfectly. He can adjust the thing, tighten the bolts, boom, the thing's done. He goes, that's all I want you to do, Nick, every day, fix what frickin' bugs you. That's it. There are, there are a thousand things around you that bug you right now. Start fixing them. And that's how I came up with two second lean. Just save two seconds. That's
0: it. This, like a lot of things in business, has what we call a flywheel effect. In the sense that momentum, once once the thing starts to spin, it starts to speed up, and 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 the uh, the benefit is so self evident. It's self sustaining. It's so self evident. It's so self sustaining that that it, it, this isn't a constant sales pitch. You don't need to constantly sort of convince people why this is better. They know because they're experiencing experiencing it for themselves and therefore the motivation to keep keep the train rolling is there. It's baked in. Um, I love it
1: absolutely so when when people feel the benefits they repeat the process if they don't feel the benefits they will not do it
0: mm-hmm. just for everyone listening guys we we have a um, uh, polls provided this really wonderful one page it's called it's called lean in a nutshell so it's like we're talking about a bunch of stuff here if you want a nice clean document a lean document that shows you some of these principles we, you just click the link in the down in the in the description of this podcast and you can just download it print it off put it I have it on my desk it's really 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 intuitive and it'll just get your head kind of thinking in this way um, and hopefully get that flywheel spinning for you. Okay, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here, uh, like get into some more um, leadership stuff. One thing that you talk about in your book is the journey with Fast Cap through the 2008 recession. You guys are in a man, you guys are in a, you know your manufacturing company but you make products predominantly for like a construction space and construction was one of the sectors that was most heavily hit there's a right. 70% drop in new construction starts after the Terrible. financial meltdown it was Terrible. it was bad it was rough and but you guys um you guys were pretty successful through those years and i'm wondering just you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen here, but it wouldn't blow me away if we were in for a bit of a shakeup here at some point over the next couple of years.
1: <laughs> I, wouldn't,
0: I wouldn't be shocked, okay? A couple of years.
1: How about, how about, how about a couple of months? Okay, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't have a crystal ball, a couple months. but I wouldn't be shocked.
0: Yeah. So what lessons about leadership can you impart for our listeners about that chapter in your life, that 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 part of FastCap story, what did you learn from that, uh, that hardship that you think might be valuable for others to hear?
1: Well, number one, I would say that I was a long-term thinker, that I didn't think about the immediate. So because I wasn't worried about getting the orders out on a daily basis, I was concerned about improving the process. When the recession hit, our efficiency allowed us to retain our employees and not lay anyone off. Because we had lots of money in the bank, we were super stable, and we were able to keep our people on and continually make improvements, even though we didn't necessarily have the work to support that. And uh, that long-term thinking was just it – was, it was epic for us. It was incredible. And the other thing, too, is because I kept reducing the space, the necessary space to do the work that I was doing, even though we were growing and growing and growing by millions of dollars a year in business – because we kept reducing 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 i would have normally have bought another building another build a bigger space and then i would have this massive overhead and i couldn't have afforded it the the recession would have killed mm. me but i i was reducing 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 all the time that when the recession had i i, I had a, a, a you know a multi-million dollar business in, in a footprint that was the, the size of a, of a two hundred thousand dollar business so For me to deal with the economic downturn, it was minuscule. It wasn't even an issue. And then I kept my people on, and they kept making more improvements. And then when we came out of the recession, it was just like we were screaming ahead.
0: It's unbelievable. It makes total sense. sense. And like it's like the long-term thinking kept you from panicking. I'm sure, which is a really good thing. And I think your focus on lean. Um, allowed you to get one thing that uh, my my co co host who isn't here today his name's Igor he's a really great guy he, he was he's super bummed he didn't get to meet you because I to, I told him all about it. he's like what I can't believe I'm not there anyway he talked about about sort of downturn ish thinking his logic is like there's a chasm that you need to get to the other side of it's not the end of the world like this isn't a complete and total um, End of human life as we know it, type scenario. But there is a chasm that you need to get to the other side of. And if you can, the potential gains can be huge. And people that do often come out of these like a slingshot. And I wonder if that aligns with your thinking, if that right. resonates with you.
1: They're completely, completely, completely. I wasn't worried about today, I was worried about you know, 10 years from now, what my company was going to look like. So I didn't get hung up in the panic, the traditional panic of how are we going to get the orders out? I said, No, 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 just slow down. And let's fit. Let's improve our processes. And lo and behold, as the company grew and kept growing, we kept getting the orders out with with the same people or less people, which is unheard of. It's the opposite of what happens to most companies. They keep expanding, growing their overhead. And you know, that's how you kill a company. Just grow the overhead. I mean, it just, you can't keep up with it, but just the opposite was happening. We were reducing our overhead and we were growing. It was the opposite of what everybody else was doing. So in the recession, and it was very easy for us Mm, to manage
0: it. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. I love it. Those are really great points. I've got, um, I've got just a couple more questions for you here. Um, one uh, mo- I don't know if it's a motto or a mantra or it's it's obviously something that means something to you because you say it all the time or I've, I've, I've read it in your work all the time it's money suffocates creativity What does this mean and why is it so important that under that entrepreneurs understand this? well the, the you know the more money you
1: have, It's very easy for you just to run down to the store and just buy anything you need to solve the problem instead of using the available resources that are right in front of you. And in the process of using the available resources, your brain starts to function in a different way. You start to connect things uh, creatively that you wouldn't actually think of prior and so, you know, I could give you the good example of fast cap. It's a perfect example, actually. So I needed to have a, a peel and stick cover cap because the old one was mechanical. So I looked around my shop and I said, well, how can I make a peel and stick cover cap? And I have an automatic edge banner from Germany and I walked over to it and I said, oh, well, there's some plastic material. That's the right thickness and that's the right color because it matches the interior of the cabinets with the screws I was trying to do. But now I got to get glue on the back of it. How am I going to do that? So, you know, I could have come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. I just walked over and got some contact cement, sprayed contact cement on the back of it. But now I got to cut it out. I walked into my wife. She was doing creative memories. I got a Christmas tree stamp. I put it underneath there, took a hammer, smacked it, and out came a plastic Christmas tree cover cap with contact cement. I stuck it over the screw. And next thing you know, I go, oh, that works perfect. (laughs) And you know, I could have I could have contacted a manufacturer and spent three months trying to figure out how he's going to punch this cap out. I did the whole thing right in front of me with the available resources: the contact cement, the edge banding, and my wife's Christmas tree stamp. <laughs> and and, and like that MacGyver. allowed me to very comfortably always look at the available resources and around me and solve problems. I just do it all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: So as a leader, when you have people coming to you with issues, things they want solved, things they want more efficient, you, you like you, your immediate response is not just, well, let's go try and buy something for it. It's it's more like, you you might if you need to, but your, your initial sort of reply to a request like that would be like, what do we have already? And what kind of creative, resourceful, mm-hmm. innovative thinking can we apply to the resources that we have to perhaps Absolutely. make something perhaps make something pretty creative as a result. That's 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 what that money suffocates creativity mantra kind of means, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So here's a good example. Here's a good example, okay? So let's say we're working in a project, in a work cell, and we need a little chute. And we need a conveyor system, okay? And l- so we say, well, we could go buy that, we go on McBaster car, we buy it, we have $500, that comes and this comes and that piece of that guy. Instead, just take the cardboard that's right in front of you, start taping it and hot gluing together, make a a prototype of it, kind of see if it works, if the general idea works and then test it and then continually refine it. So we did it all with the cardboard right in front of us. A great example would be we have pad printing. So we pad print a logo on all of our tape measures. But we, when the, when the pad printing needs to dry, so we could have got a heat tunnel, could have spent thousands of dollars on a heat tunnel. So what my guys did is they took a piece of wood on a little conveyor system that we had put a hair dryer in the top of it okay and then put a foot switch that they hit with their foot switch to for the hair dryer to turn it on and off. as soon as it goes through it just goes down the conveyor and drops into a box and it's all dry they did the whole thing in probably a half hour with all the stuff that was available instead of buying a heat tunnel a specialized heat tunnel on mcmaster car for two or three thousand dollars yeah. That's money suffocates creativity.
0: I love it. That is probably as good a place as any to start to close. I want to, um, I'll, I'll ask you this as a, as a final one, Paul. Um, if people want to find out more about you, the work you do, the books you've written, the videos you've created, you're a pretty Findable guy, you're not, uh, and you're and you're very you're very generous with your time and and the and the ingenious thinking that you've done at cap Where, if somebody listens to this podcast, if they want to go deeper, where might they go? Do that.
1: There are three ways. Number one, everything I do is free. I don't want money from anybody. We give millions of dollars away a year helping companies and organizations around the world. There are tens of thousands of companies worldwide that are doing two second lean, and I don't get one dime from it. I don't want any money. That's not why I do it. I do it to help people. Three places. You can go to my website, paulacres.net. You can go to my YouTube channel, Paul Acres. <laughs> videos, thousands of videos. Everything's free. Just start watching. Or you can go to my app. I just spent $50,000 on it. And you can download the app. It's all free. It has all five of my books in nine languages. Wow. The audio. Better than the Audible app. Easier to use the Audible app. Just download it and start listening. Have your entire team. We have thousands of people using that globally. Those are three ways you can do it right now.
0: Paul, I uh, I want to thank you for doing this with us. It's been an honor talking to you. Um, I want to get you back out kite surfing, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. Enjoy your time in Dominican, and uh, thanks for taking the hour to talk to I us today. Will.
1: Any Anytime, Benji. It was fun.
0: Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.